Welcome to Dale Carter's America, the podcast. Today is our 40th episode. We appreciate you listening and following along, following on Facebook, following on Twitter, however you can get Dale Carter's America. Today on the podcast, we lost a great American. We'll talk about him, the supply chain issue, and a nine-month report card on President Biden. When is it a peaceful protest and when is it an insurrection? The FBI involved in your school district will take you to Loudoun County, Virginia. Then we'll wrap with hopeful signs all today on Dale Carter's America. From the heart of flyover country, he's not on the far right and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. Well, Kurt, this morning we got the sad news that Colin Powell had died. Colin Powell was uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff during George H.W. Bush's term in the White House. He was Secretary of State under George W. Bush. He was 84 years old, uh, had been vaccinated for COVID, but I've also heard that he had cancer. Yeah, and you know, it's he he was uh, 84, and uh, it tends to target people who are older. You know, so. Uh, whether he died from COVID or from complications from COVID or for something out from something else, you know, um, well, I'm sure we'll find more details out about that in the coming days. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a big loss for sure. What a great American! And I'll get into some of my thoughts about Colin Powell from back in the Gulf War days and the Powell Doctrine. Uh, he flirted for a time with running for president. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Would love to know yours as well because you come from a younger generation. Not sure what your thoughts are on Colin Powell, but we'll certainly get to those. In New York City, they're having a vote today on the city council. By the time you have heard uh, this podcast, they may have already decided, uh, but there's a big statue of Thomas Jefferson in City Hall in New York City, and the vote is whether that statue stays or whether it goes. You remember when Trump was talking about taking down the Confederate statues and he made the comment that that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. George Washington was a slave owner. Was George Washington a slave owner? So will George Washington now lose his status? Are we going to take down... Excuse me. Are we going to take down? Are we going to take down statues to George Washington? How about Thomas Jefferson? What do you think of Thomas Jefferson? You like him? Okay, good. Are we going to take down the statue? Because he was a major slave owner. Now are we going to take down his statue? You know that George Washington owned slaves. You know that uh, all these founding fathers that we look up to. You know they were not perfect, and they're going to come for them next, and they're going to take down their statues. And everyone made fun of him and said, "No, that's ridiculous." You know, right. Well, here we are. I've said that on the morning show at KFKF, and uh, we've talked about it on the podcast. Uh, we, we even did a whole podcast episode, if you go back early into the episodes, where we talked about all the ridiculousness that could flow from this. Oh, yeah. And there are people on the other side that said, oh, no, you're full of it. That's never going to happen. It's never going to go that way. And uh, now Thomas Jefferson may or may not be expelled from City Hall in New York. You know, we had a vote in Jackson County on whether the statue of Andrew Jackson, the guy who Jackson County, Missouri is named for, would stay or go. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmingly, Jackson County voters said, leave the statue. Right, right. Well, you know, we don't live in New York, so I think that makes a big difference. Well, we'll uh, track that. We'll see what's going on there. Uh, And some thoughts on how that may tie in to um, further things like maybe the Kansas City Chiefs. I know you tell me Mm -hmm. I'm full of hot air, and you you can write this down somewhere, and we can come back and talk about it, but I'm going to give you my thoughts on that as well. When is it an insurrection, and when is it a peaceful protest? I think that depends. I think it depends on who's doing it. It it depends totally on the political affiliation of the uh, offenders. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, because what we're talking about is the comparison between January 6th, which we talked about, Uh, in terms of all of the riots that happened the year before in in America's largest cities where uh, there was rioting going on, there was looting going on, millions and millions of dollars worth of damage compared to January 6th where some people did some stupid stuff. They went places they weren't supposed to go, um, uh, but that became an insurrection. Our government is at risk. They're trying to topple our government to what happened at the Department of Interior, which, if you're not watching Fox News Channel, 
you didn't see this at all. Right. Yeah. Totally covered up or, you know, not covered at all by, by most of the media. I saw it on Twitter, which we're on Twitter now, Dale Carter's America on Twitter. It's a gold mine. I am already completely addicted to Twitter, but, <laughs> um, I saw some people posting the video and it looked very much exactly like, you know, some of the scenes that we saw from January 6th where people are, you know, rushing to try and get into the building. They're dogpiling police officers. They're shooting them back with tasers. I guess people eventually got into the building and uh, some people were brought out and arrested or, or blah, blah, blah. But uh, it just goes to show that what actually happens doesn't matter so much as as the narrative and and uh, as the uh, political affiliation of those involved because in this case we were dealing with environmental activists i'm using quotation marks with my fingers breaking into the department of the interior which you know is something that uh i think if you if you uh pressed most of the left and most of the mainstream media on they probably would say that they agree with them and you know that's why they called a year of rioting, peaceful, mostly peaceful protests. And that's why they call January 6th a, you know, unfortunate event where some people broke some things uh, with no consequence whatsoever. That's why they called that an insurrection. Yeah, the government in peril. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg uh, was on all the talk shows over the weekend. You know, he's gay and he's married to another guy. There's nothing wrong with that. But they apparently adopted twins. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about this? Oh, yeah. And he took two months of paternity leave off to deal with the twins. We've got all this stuff going on, this supply chain disruption, they're calling it, that's going on right now. And the Secretary of Transportation, first of all, when you take one of these jobs, you're in an administration that's probably a four-year commitment. Yeah. And you're going to take two months off for paternity yeah. leave. Yeah. And it brings up the question, you know, what is the other dad doing? Because you would think like it, traditionally, you know, I mean, paternity leave is a, that term in itself is a relatively new concept. It I is. mean, you, what you think of is maternity leave because the mother, when you have a newborn child, the mother is the, well, the one that takes care of it. I've so, been there. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's totally... Uh, you know, totally appropriate for a woman who has just given birth to have some time off from work to to take care of uh, of their newborn, especially, you know, when you consider that the mother is actually giving birth to the child, uh, breastfeeding the child, you know, things like this, nursing the child, they need some time to do that. But in this case, you know, you have two men that are taking care of these adopted children. Why is it necessary for both of them to, uh, you know, take off of work? I right. mean, the, clearly... Pete has, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, what his, his husband does for, for work, but you know, Pete is the, the, uh, secretary of transportation. You know, I, I think it's not a stretch to say that his job is probably more important than his husband's job. Well, you know, so. exactly. And who over the last two months has been looking out for the transportation needs of this country as ships are bottlenecked in California. What are we doing about that? Pete went on television and he said, Hey, look, this is probably going to go into next year. Yeah. And he said it was, uh, I think it was just yesterday on one of the Sunday shows, he went on and said, I'll pull up the clip, he went on and said that uh, it was a sign that Biden is doing the right thing on the economy. We're seeing major supply chain disruption in the U.S. right now, causing everything from higher prices to longer waits for products. Moody's warns that these supply chain disruptions, quote, will get worse before they get better, unquote. Do Americans need to prepare ourselves for this to get worse before it gets better? Well, certainly a lot of the challenges that we've ex been experiencing this year will continue into next year, but there are both short-term and long-term steps that we can take to do something about it. Look, uh, part of what's happening isn't just the supply side, it's the demand side. Demand is off the charts. Retail sales are through the roof. And if you think about those images of uh, ships, for example, waiting at anchor on the West Coast, you know, every one of those ships uh, is full of record amounts of goods that Americans are buying uh, because demand is up, because income is up, uh, because the president has successfully guided this economy out of the teeth of a terrifying recession. I'm leaving a little dead air there because I'm trying to process what you just said. Yeah. That's good for the economy. It's because we're, it's because we're surging back from COVID and there's higher demand. That's what he said. Yeah. Meanwhile, the hashtag that's following Joe Biden around now, we're going to get into this with his nine-month report card, is hashtag empty shelves Joe. 
Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Oh, I've seen it. It's all over Twitter. It was yeah. it was number one trending on Twitter for a while. And uh, there's this one guy, I forget his name, but I can drop this clip here too. Does a way better Trump impression than I do. And what? he had he had a really funny uh, he had a really funny bit where he was at the grocery store with the empty shelves and was talking about empty shelves, Joe. I'll yeah. drop that in. Well, here we are in the supermarket. We're standing here with the bare shelves. Look at it. There's absolutely nothing here. The shelves are bare. It's empty. It's empty like Sleepy Joe's brain when you think about it. There's absolutely nothing on the shelf. Look at it. Bare shelves all over the place. They say we're building back better, and yet we have nothing in the supermarkets. We're standing with the bare shelves. Bare shelves, Biden, okay? Empty shelves, Joe. It's a disgrace, believe me. Well, you know, and then we got walk away, Joe. That's another nickname because he's not taking any questions now. They're not taking any chances whatsoever. And I don't want to burst your bubble, Kurt, uh, but your Joe, your um, Donald Trump impersonation is not very Donald Trump-esque. It's funny, and it's <laughs> right, in, right. in a cartoon sort of a way. Right. It's a caricature. Yeah, and really, if we were doing a video podcast, it would be better because you get the hands going at do the, the same hands. time. I do the hands and the lips. <laughs> yeah. Got to get it. stuff. It's a it's a total package. All right, we're going to get into the bulk of uh, today's podcast, our 40th episode, where we're going to talk about what's happening in Loudoun County. We're going to remember uh, the late Colin Powell, give Joe Biden his nine month uh, report card, and give you a little bit of good news as well today. We'll do all of that coming up next. Want to thank our sponsor here, Frontier Justice, Lee's Summit, and KCK Faith, Family, and Freedom. Prices are falling at Frontier Justice's Fall Savings Event. Smith & Wesson M&P AR-15 for only $649.99. All Vertex bags, 15% off. 9mm, 223 and 5.56 ammo in stock and on sale. All things personal protection for you and your family at Frontier Justice, where the fall savings are too good to miss. Frontier Justice in Lee Summit and KCK or online at frontier-justice.com. Okay, before we get into uh, Colin Powell, and I have a lot of thoughts on uh, the late General Powell, um, let's talk about Loudoun County, uh, because I know you spent time in Virginia. You know the Commonwealth of Virginia a little better than I do. Um, We're talking about a school district. We're talking about the involvement of the FBI. What's going on here? So really, the big picture is the the situation with the school boards in America is heating up. quite quickly, I I would say. And that's revolving around critical race theory. It's involving around the gender ideology that's being taught in schools. It's revolving around making kids wear masks, despite the incredibly low risk to small children of COVID and and a series of other things. So I want to kind of paint the picture of some things that have been happening over the course of the past couple months. I'm going to start with um, the National School Board Association. So this was probably a month or two ago. There was a big story about the DOJ and Merrick Garland, the attorney general, looking into local school boards and investigating parents as potential, quote, domestic terrorists. This came from a National School Board Association letter that was written to the Biden administration asking them to treat parents at protests at school boards as possible domestic terrorists. And then the DOJ followed up with that and they said that they're going to be cracking down on quote, violent outbursts or something like that at school boards, which is exceedingly rare. I mean, school boards don't get violent. People are not there killing each other or beating up each other. What's happening is parents are starting to respond to what's being taught to their kids and they're getting angry about it, justifiably so. And so bring in Loudoun County, Virginia, which uh, I, as you mentioned, I used to live in Virginia. I lived in Fairfax County, Virginia, which is just outside of D.C., Uh, Loudoun County is one county to the west of Washington, D.C. It's still pretty close to D.C., maybe 45 minutes or so. And there was a a situation at the school board meeting a few weeks ago now where a parent was causing a scene because he was alleging that the school board had covered up the sexual assault of his daughter. And the Daily Wire um, interviewed him and broke the story that essentially what happened was allegedly uh, there was a kid that was a boy, a 14 or 15 year old boy who was wearing or sometimes wore a skirt or, you know, self-identified or whatever you want to say, went into the girl's locker room and raped this guy's daughter. And um, 
the school board, it came out after that. The school board was trying to cover it up. They were, they knew about the story, but they weren't releasing public information about the story. They were trying to keep it internal. So they weren't wanting to get the sheriff involved or the police involved. They were trying to really keep wraps on it as to, you know, protect their image and protect their, their ideology. And so this guy went to the school board and caused a big scene. He was arrested. And, uh, subsequently it's come out that the Loudoun County school board has very likely covered up other cases of sexual assault with children in their school district as well. That's come out in the past week or so. And now one of the, uh, one of the members has resigned. One of the school board members. Yeah, I saw that. Loudoun County school board member, Beth Bartz announced her resignation on Friday. So this was after the reports that the school board failed to report numerous sexual assault claims in the district for years and days after a Daily Wire investigation revealed that Loudoun County Public Schools tried to cover up an alleged sexual assault in a school bathroom while the victim's father was arrested at a school board meeting and later smeared as a domestic terrorist. You know, we've had this discussion on the podcast before and I think you and I are in agreement here that biological males are biological males and biological females are biological females. And there are friends of ours who are too lean to the left who say that stuff like this would never happen. This is rare. This is never going to happen. And when we talked about it in terms of, okay, let's say that your daughter is on the bubble for a scholarship at a major university in girls basketball or girls volleyball or track. And a biological male comes along and says, Hey, I, I consider myself a female. Um, and, and takes that scholarship away. That's one thing. This is completely uh, on the other side. I mean, this is like, you know, worst case scenario and all that. And what I'm hearing is it's happening more than just an extreme situation. Yeah. And the reason they're covering it up is because they're trying to make the case that putting boys in women's changing rooms has no negative ramifications. They're trying to say that, oh, well, there's never been any case of sexual assault. There's never been any case of, uh, you know, bad behavior with boys in the girls changing room. And that's just not the case. And it's not the case based on the facts. And it's not the case if you just think about it and use common sense. I mean, you think about the, the energy of, you know, boys going through puberty, you know, you put them in a girls changing room. And, you know, there's it's not like there's a bunch of teachers there keeping an eye on what's going on because you don't want teachers in there either. So, I mean, it's just a bad idea. And, you know, it brings up a lot of different things. I mean, I think this is uh, what's happening at the school boards is is really telling. And it's it's a step in the right direction with these parents really standing up and and fighting back. We had this uh, school board member in Virginia that resigned. We had in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania State School Board Association has severed ties with the National School Board Association over the letter that I referenced that the National School Board Association sent to the Biden administration trying to frame parents that are standing up against this as domestic terrorists. And the Pennsylvania School Board Association said, we're not having any of this, you know, and I, and I think two things are going to be happening. We're going to have more parents that are going to be standing up in school board meetings, pushing back, causing a scene as they should. They should. We're, and we're, again, we're not talking about violence. They're trying to frame this as they're domestic terrorists because they're getting violent at school board meetings. That is not what's happening. The parents are getting very upset. They're getting angry, justifiably angry, and they're going and causing a scene. Causing a scene is not the same as being violent. The only violence that was committed was in arresting this guy for raising his voice and speaking out. No, the violence <laughs> happened in the restroom where the biological male well, yeah, raped the girl. Of course. And, you know, if that happened to one of my granddaughters in a school, they'd have to hold me back. Yeah. And I mean, when you think about it, people have made this point, but I mean, the the guy should, I, I don't even know if applauded is the right word, but just think about the restraint right. that you would have to exhibit as a father, knowing that, you know, your daughter allegedly was raped by a boy in the bathroom and then knowing that your school board is trying to push this on the rest of the kids in your school district i mean you'd you'd be hard pressed to find a father that wouldn't um you know want to respond to that in in pretty severe fashion and then the other thing that's going to be happening and i think maybe more uh more prescient something that we actually have more control over is that parents are going to pull their kids out of the schools and you know I think if you're in a school district like Loudoun County or like some of these other school districts that have really been 
kind of on the forefront of this where they're really pushing the gender ideology where they're really pushing critical race theory and other things. I mean, why are you not taking your kids out? Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. I mean, they're losing kids left and right. And um, I heard uh, Keatsman talking about this. Uh, Kevin Keatsman has issues is his podcast, and I think it's really good. Uh, Chris DeGaulle is a friend of mine, and he does a talk show over on KCMO, and they were talking about this. You don't hear these issues in the suburbs. You're not hearing it in Blue Valley. You're not hearing it in Blue Springs. Um, you're just Park Hill. You're not hearing it there. So what's happening is uh, people who can are fleeing to the suburbs or they're taking their kids out and they're putting them in private schools yep. or they're homeschooling. Well, I should say, just, I mean, that you're talking specifically about the Kansas City region. But in this case, Loudoun County is a suburb of Washington, D.C. It's actually a very wealthy suburb. Um, I think it's just under Fairfax County. Fairfax County is I'm pretty sure it's like basically the wealthiest county on the East Coast. Okay. I've lived there. It's very affluent, very wealthy county because you have all of these government contractors, all of these federal employees that are, are you know, paid very well that live in Fairfax County or live in Loudoun County. It's a very affluent area and it's a suburb, you know, so um, to, to say that this, you know, is not affecting the suburbs. Maybe that's the case in Kansas City. I can't really speak on that, but certainly nationally, that is not the case. And again, you know, if if uh, if you're a parent, you know, you should be making your own decision for your your children. You know, I think what a lot of Absolutely. parents are, are realizing is that, you know, the school boards are trying to say that they should be teaching your children, not you teaching your children, right. you know, and, and listen well, to what Terry McAuliffe said again in Virginia, running for governor in Virginia. I think we played the clip last week or the week before he said that, you know, uh, parents shouldn't be allowed to to tell school boards what they're teaching their kids. And that's just ridiculous. So well, if you have the means, yeah. you know, get your kids out, go to private school, go to homeschool. I understand that some parents don't have those means. You know, if you don't live in a place where you have uh, school choice or vouchers or something like that, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult. But if if I was a parent in one of these school districts, I would be doing everything in my power to get my kid out of that school. Well, as my old high school football coach used to say, that's just bass backwards thinking, you yeah. know, because you, I think we did an episode called bass backwards as a matter of fact, because parents are the first and primary teacher of their kids. And from a governmental perspective, this is why we need a Republican president to go in there with some sack for a change yeah. and do what they say they're going to do. Right. And that's eliminate the national department of education. Right. It yeah. It's not a federal responsibility. Yep, and it, and it it's another example of why I'm not a libertarian. You know, I mean, you look at what's happening in Florida, for example, uh, and a little bit in Texas. You know, Ron DeSantis in Florida has come out and said that critical race theory will not be taught in Florida schools. He is taking an executive stance for the right thing against the wrong thing in Florida. It's not enough to just say that, you know, oh, we need to let these school boards do whatever they want. If you don't like it, you can move to another county, blah, 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 blah. No, that's not enough. You have to stand up for what is right and you have to use the power of your position in government to promote the the correct thing. And I, and I think that DeSantis in Florida with these issues is a good example of that. You know, we should not allow these ideologies to be taught to our kids in any capacity. And we have to do everything that we can as private citizens, as the state governments, as the federal government to put a stop to it. You know who I would have loved to have talked to about this and gotten his opinion on it um, is Colin Powell. And obviously we can't do that anymore. The four-star general, former secretary of state, at one, to at one point, I, I really was hoping he would run for president, um, has passed away, complications from covid he was 84 years old. Um, he was Secretary of State. He was Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff before that, a line officer during Vietnam. Uh, there are so many memories and so many thoughts I have of Colin Powell. Just a, a pragmatic person. You know, it's like see problem, solve problem, not get your political philosophy involved in it. And I think that in large part is why Joe Biden is failing as president is because he's letting the ideology of the left overrule what pragmatically needs to be done during his administration. I don't think Colin Powell would have done that. Now, there are some folks on the far right who didn't like Colin Powell because he said exactly what he thought. And just like a general, you know, one of our, our some of our greatest presidents have been generals. Think about this. Mm -hmm. George Washington, yep. you know, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, 
Mm-hmm. These were great generals at a time their country needed them, and, and I think Colin Powell would have been a great president al- along those lines. But but let's go back into his his past, his history a little bit. He was a line officer during Vietnam. He learned a lot of lessons during Vietnam that applied when Colin Powell became chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. If you want a little history lesson here, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. George H.W. Bush told him to get out of Kuwait. And Saddam told him basically to stick it up his ass. And so George H.W. Bush cobbled together this coalition of all these nations. I mean, it was an awesome event. And with the mission of getting Saddam Hussein and Iraq out of Kuwait, it was the Gulf War. Mm -hmm. And it happened lickety split. And it, it led to what's known as the Powell Doctrine, which basically says don't get hunkered down somewhere, I don't know, like Afghanistan for 20 years, okay? See problem, solve problem, okay? The problem was Saddam Hussein was in Kuwait. Powell said, this is how many troops it's going to take with Norman Schwarzkopf, who was the general on the ground, and they got it done quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, quickest in and out war. I I know there were people back then, maybe I was one of them, I don't know, who wanted uh, the United States to go all the way to Baghdad and take care of that problem at that point, but we didn't. That was not what the U.N. mandate was. That's not the coalition that Bush got together. Uh, so the Powell Doctrine says if, if, you've, if you need to use the military, and trust me, generals don't want to use the military. Right. You know, that's, they understand what it's all about. They're not out there saber-rattling and all that. They understand what it's for. And, and we've talked about that. The, the, the mission of the military is to kill people and break things. Mm-hmm. You only use them for those two things when you need them. So Powell Doctrine was, let's go with overwhelming force, let's get in, let's get out, let's know what the objective is, let's don't have another Vietnam, and and I think Powell would say, let's don't have another Afghanistan, because we just came out of that. So then Colin Powell goes on to become Secretary of State under George W. Bush. Now, the first line in his obit is going to be, he was the first African-American who was chairman of the Joint Chiefs, he was the first African-American Secretary of State. I don't think that matters. He was yeah, a great man does either. who was right there at that time, but he checked that box. So should he have run for president? I don't know. We'll get your thoughts on this as well. My thought is yes, that he would have, from a pragmatic point of view, advanced this country's race relations far better than Barack Obama did. Barack Obama had an opportunity to heal this nation and heal its racial divide, and I think he made it worse. Mm-hmm. I don't think Colin Powell would have done that. It's tough to say. I mean, I don't really know that much about Colin Powell to be completely transparent here. Um, I was more interested in hearing your thoughts on it. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, the more I think about it, I I don't think that uh, the idea that we need to elect X uh, identity group in order to promote race relations or gender relations or anything like that. I don't think that's a winning Strategy. Well, I don't think that either. Let, let me interrupt you there. I, I just think he was the right man to be president. Right. Okay. And if he had been president, the race relation issues that we have right now, I think would be further advanced than they are right now. Right. But you understand that Barack Obama was elected to be the first black president. He was. That was like the number one reason that he was elected. And it, you know, did, had the opposite effect of, of uh, as intended. So, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't really know too much about him. Um, I was pretty young, you know, during the Bush administration. Not too young to pay attention, but not really old enough to form a, a solid opinion on him. But I certainly agree with the idea that um, the military should be used, like you said, to kill people and break things. And that when we have a mission, we need to go and complete that mission as quickly and efficiently as possible. And then, you know... Get out. Uh, get out, you know, even... It, it, maybe not completely. I mean, you know, we, we leave residual forces in a lot of places and things like that. There's some nuance there, but certainly but not the combat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Certainly not, you know, a prolonged campaign like we've seen in Afghanistan for, for the last 20 years. So maybe he would have uh, handled it differently if he, if he had um, more control over that situation, who knows, but yeah, well, that hit me kind of hard this morning. Uh, I saw that on the wire while I was doing the morning show at KFKF and Colin Powell was definitely a hero to me. Uh, the general was 84 years old dying from complications from COVID. Um, He was fully vaccinated. We got that news. But I'm also hearing that he may have had cancer as well. 
and there are comorbidity. We talk about comorbidity issues all the time uh, relative to uh, COVID-19, and apparently that's what happened here. Yeah, that's certainly possible. I'm curious, you know, uh, I'd like you to dive into this a little bit further if, if you if you could. You know, what what about him do you think would would have made him a good president? Just his leadership. You know, that's what we're craving right now. We're mm-hmm. craving a leader. You know, a lot of folks will say Donald Trump was a leader, and, and I'm one of them. I mean, Donald Trump picked a direction. He went. You may not agree with it all the time. You may not have liked him on a personal level, but he was a leader. We are rudderless right now. Yeah. This country is rudderless. It is led, and I put that in serious air quotes, by someone who is not leading, who has never led, mm-hmm. uh, who is being led. And we're going to get into that as well. But I just think his, his leadership, his pragmatism, and, and not getting hung up on, you know, ideology. You right. know, I think in terms of our podcast, I think I'm very pragmatic. I know I am <laughs> because that's what I do for a living on the radio with um, not the morning show because that's the fun and game stuff you hear on the radio. But behind the scenes, I've been a program director since 1984. That's very pragmatic. See problem, solve problem. Right. Okay. Uh, I think you're more idealistic, and that's okay because mm-hmm. you're younger. I think as you get older, you're going to find that pragmatism will creep in. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, but I think uh, Colin Powell was very pragmatic and mm-hmm. could solve problems and would he would have done what I think Joe Biden ran on, which is take the temperature of our country down, okay, mm-hmm. solve some problems, get some things done on a pragmatic level. I mean, that's why I think he would have been a great president. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But we'll never know uh, because Colin Powell has died. He was 84 years old. The president we have is Joe Biden, and uh, we've talked about his hashtags. He had the hashtag WalkAwayJoe, and now, you know, like baseball players at the K, they have walk-up music when they come up to the plate to Mm -hmm. swing or whatever, and the walk-up music I play on the air now for Joe is this little clip that Trisha Yearwood did of WalkAwayJoe. That boy's just a walkAwayJoe, born to be a leaver, tell you from the word go. Destined to deceive her, he's the wrong kind of paradise. She's gonna know it in a matter of time. That boy's just a walk away, Joe. Because it's walk away, Joe. Yeah. He's going to do what he's going to do, and then he's going to walk away. Now the hashtag is empty shelves, Joe. And I went to the grocery store over the weekend, and it's amazing. I mean, you can go to one of the major grocery stores in our town and see empty shelves. And that's not something that we are used to as Americans. Yeah. I'm like, am I living in the old Soviet Union? We really take it for granted, don't we? You know, I, it it just goes to show how spoiled we are as as, uh, as Americans. You know, we're, we're busy talking about all of these uh, silly things uh, all the time, you know, like some uh, offensive emails from 10 years ago or whatever, you know, and we're not, we, we don't have to worry about putting food on the table. We don't have to worry about having shelter over our heads and all of these things that most, or at least a majority of, of people in the rest of the world. And certainly a majority of people throughout history have had to, you know, yeah. consume themselves with. Well, I think Colin Powell, I may, I may bounce back and forth and compare Colin Powell to Joe Biden. I think uh, Colin Powell would have looked at the supply chain issue and said, there's a problem. We're going to go fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody go away. We're going to go in a room. I'm going to get the smartest gray matter I can get. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go solve that problem. Yeah, because that's something the federal government should do. You know, I, I have a list of about five things maybe they're good at and they ought to do. And in, in reality, they're trying to do 75,000 things. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's five. And, and one of those ought to be, you know, a supply chain coming into this country. Mm-hmm. First of all, we ought to make more stuff here. Yeah, you know, totally. But we don't. We rely on China. Mm-hmm. And because we rely on China, we've got to have a supply chain that works well. So, I mean, do you have, I mean, you were a teacher. Do you have an overall grade that you would give Joe Biden on his nine months on the job? Um, two out of 10. Two out of 10. So you'd give it a number grade. Yeah. Not a letter. I, I think the numbers are a little bit more accurate, you know. So two out of 10. At best. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, empty shelves is one issue. Southern border, obviously, he's failing on that. Yeah. Our southern border is is as porous as it's ever been. Um, the economy, uh, you've got inflation th- that's running rampant. You've got more jobs than people willing to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's another area where I think a Colin Powell would lead from the bully pulpit. 
get off your ass and get back to work. I mean, that's the military in him. Well, you know, back to the supply chain thing, I, I really just want to know, like, what are they actually doing about it? Because every opportunity that has presented itself for Jen Psaki or Joe Biden or, um, you know, Pete Buttigieg or anybody, you know, to to uh, give an update at least on, on, you know, hey, you know, we understand that this is a problem. We're doing X, Y, Z to work on it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Even if they're not giving a timeline or even if they're not promising any solution, I haven't even heard a plan. A, well, you you know, might be able to find this clip where Biden came out. This is one of those times he didn't take any chest, any questions. And he said, well, you know, we've gotten a couple of these docs to start working 24-7. That could be a real game changer. After weeks of negotiation and working with my team and with the major union retailers and freight movers, the ports of Los Angeles, the port of Los Angeles announced today that it's going to be begin operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This follows the Port of Long Beach's commitment to 24-7 that it announced just weeks ago. So by increasing the number of late-night hours of operation and opening up for less crowded hours when the goods can move faster, today's announcement has the potential to be a game-changer. Yeah. Exact quote from our president. We're going to get two docks to work 24-7. Well, I mean... I thought they were working 24-7. Why yeah. weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a good question. And then, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the problem because, you know, there's been videos and, and reports and other things coming out that it's it's not, you know, that they're not working enough hours. It's that we don't have the workers. We don't have the – it's a staffing problem more than, more than anything, it seems like. And there's been some videos, um, again, that I've seen on Twitter um, that have come out, you know, where there's these truckers and there's just – dozens of trucks backed up at these ports and they have the truckers they're just waiting there for the for the um shipments you know for the for to get loaded and and it's just not happening they're waiting there for hours on end because there's nobody there to to facilitate it to to work the uh the port so i don't i don't know exactly you know as you can tell by the way i'm talking about this i'm i'm no expert but um all that we're getting from the administration is spin you know, all, it's all politics. So whenever this is brought up, it's just political spin. It's, oh, you know, this is a good sign because it means that we're coming out of the, the, the COVID recession. Oh, you know, this is not an issue. We're working on it oh, or, you know, whatever. It's just all political spin. It's all positioning. And we're not getting any actual answers as to what's happening and what's going on. And these ships, you know, um, out in like Los Angeles, I mean, is probably the, the most, uh, the, the most popular example you know these these cargo ships have been sitting there for for weeks now you know and i saw um i saw a babylon b headline that was really funny it was the cargo ships in los angeles bay have arranged themselves to spell out let's go brandon (laughs) (laughs) you know i said that the washington football team and i'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit because we're going to talk about that you know they changed their name uh, daniel snyder's team no longer the redskins after all those years and years but now he's kind of put a pin in it and now i think he's doing it to stick it up the ass of roger goodell and everybody at the league right who put pressure on him mm. he's not giving them a nickname right it's the most ridiculous thing ever right. the football team right. yeah. i mean it's crazy I was, I was watching the 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 game yesterday with my lady and uh and it's funny, you know, they have like the little graphics that they flash yeah. across the screen right. where it's like the logo and it's like all flashy and fancy. And it's like Chiefs yeah, yeah. football team. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, so what? what's the chant? What chant do they do? Yeah. Let's go football team. Clap, 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 clap. I don't know. That sounds like let's go Brandon to me. Yeah. So I'm thinking that should be the nickname of the team. They're in D.C., right? So yeah. they could be the Brandons. Yeah, perfect. The Washington Brandons. <laughs> the Washington Let's Brandon. go Brandon. Yeah. So um, a part of his report card is also foreign policy, and I think he's failed miserably there, too, in terms of Afghanistan. That was just an abject failure. Yeah. I mean, Afghanistan, China, Russia, you know, I mean, he, he hasn't – he's very clearly a weak human being and yeah. a weak leader, and I think uh, all these people are – are seeing it and you know to jump into something that i had in my notes that uh, i don't know if you had in your notes or not but there was a report that was that came out yesterday on sunday i believe maybe saturday that back in august china tested their first ever hypersonic missile hypersonic ballistic missile and so what that means is basically you know we have supersonic ballistic missiles they go up into the up into the uh space basically they go very fast 
and then they come down, you know, ours, like our Trident B3 missile is probably our best uh, missile. It has a cone that breaks off and there's like 12 independently targeting warheads within that. But the hypersonic missile goes much faster, which makes it hard to detect by radar. By the time it reaches its target, you it's too late, you know, too late to do anything about it. You can't, it makes it harder to tell where it came from and things like that. This missile that they tested in China flew around the entire globe and then went to its target. I think they missed the target by, they said, a couple dozen miles or something like that, which is obviously, you know, uh, a, a miss, but, you know, it's their first test. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be working on this technology and, and perfecting it. But, you know, China's making moves. Uh, North Korea's making moves. Russia's making moves. Right. And we're not doing anything about it. Well, what came out of Afghanistan, what a lot of people said, and I happen to agree with, is our friends can't count on us. And our enemies and or adversaries have no respect for us. Now, I'm not sure China is going to launch missiles on us because they own so much of our country. Why would they do that? Yeah, that's a good point. Because <laughs> I mean, they own a lot of our this $30 trillion right. debt. But it's not, I mean, if you look at, you know, the the Cold War, for example, it's not necessarily about we think that they're going to do it. No, it's, it's, it just it's ratchets about, up the tension. Yeah, it's about, you know... Um, flashing your your guns and flexing your muscles and and uh if we want to be still considered the the leading world power then we need to have bigger muscles than china and that's just the bottom line and i mean this is a technology that i'm sure we're working on too but as far as i know we haven't tested and and uh you know it's so it's looking like they may have the upper hand on us on on that front specifically well uh, talking about joe biden i had a thought on this did he misread his mandate and I wanted to go back in historical terms, not not too far back, but I want to go back to Gerald Ford to Jimmy Carter, because Gerald Ford came in um, as Richard Nixon's vice president. Uh, the wheels were coming off the Nixon administration. Spiro Agnew was the elected vice president, and he had to resign over tax issues, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm pretty sure on that. Um, so when he resigned, um, Representative Ford from Michigan was Nixon's pick to be vice president. And then Watergate happened and Nixon had to go. So this unelected man, in terms of national office, becomes president of the United States. Right. So uh, what was his mandate? Uh, his mandate was to heal the country, which I think he did in large measure. But he also pardoned Richard Nixon. That led to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter's mandate, I think was to clean up Washington, that the Republicans were there, they were crooked, they were, you know, Richard Nixon and all that, be the anti-Nixon. So that was Jimmy Carter's mandate, and I think in large measure he did that. And then the country went the other way, because if you think about what happened in uh, the late 70s, uh, mid-70s actually, you know, we had uh, the, the oil shortages, the oil embargo and all that, and then our hostages were taken by Iran, um, Jimmy Carter was seen as feckless. I mean, it was the the malaise that we had. Mm-hmm. Okay, so America didn't like that. America spoke and said, "Okay, we want this Ronald Reagan guy because we want to feel better about America." And I think Ronald Reagan fulfilled that mission for eight years. He did it so well that George H. W. Bush was elected after him. Mm-hmm. That has not happened in a while. Yeah, where a guy held the office for eight years, and his vice president took over as president. And that was essentially a third term of Ronald Reagan. So we're sitting there with George H.W. Bush. We mentioned Colin Powell. We mentioned what happened in the Gulf War and all that. George H.W. Bush's approval rating was in the 90s. Wow. The year before he lost the election. (laughs) How does that work? Think about that. Okay. Well, I mean, a lot of things happened. The economy tanked. That wasn't good. Uh, Ross Perot ran as a third-party candidate. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make an admission on this podcast that I have admitted to very few people. Okay, 1992, I voted for Bill Clinton. Uh-oh. I know. Why did I do that? Because the economy was in the tank. Bill Clinton was out there saying, it's the economy, stupid. I'm going to fix the economy. And then the thing that tripped my trigger, and some of you may remember this, there was a debate with George H.W. Bush, Ross Perot, and Bill Clinton. And George H.W. Bush looked at his watch. Like Sounds familiar. We have a, another president that has done I know. that. Too. Well, he looked at his watch. And my thought back then, and I was younger then, mm-hmm. much like you are now, my thought was, 
Do you have somewhere better to be mm-hmm. than on that stage fighting for your job with the economy tanking? Yeah, it's not a good look. That's for it's sure. It's not a good look. And I'm reading a book. It's interesting. Um, the Man I Knew who uh, was written by the, the lady who was the um, chief of staff for George H.W. Bush after he left the White House. And he even admitted to her, it's like, I was looking at my watch thinking these people are going to prattle on all night. And I do have somewhere better I need to be. Um, so I get that now. Uh, and I feel badly. I felt badly almost immediately after I pulled that lever. It's like, mm. what the hell did I do? Mm. Right? Okay. So Bill Clinton's mandate, since I'm going down this road, is to fix the economy. Okay. Right. And what Bill Clinton did was misread the mandate. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere with all this. He misread the mandate. And immediately thought this is going to be a left-wing takeover of the government. Mm-hmm. Had a State of the Union address where he held up his card. He put his wife in charge of it and said, we're going to take over health care. Guess what America did in the midterm? You know? Yeah, they elected a bunch of Republicans to Congress. The Red Tsunami. Yeah. It was the class of 94. Well, Bill Clinton, a much better politician than what we have now in Joe Biden, he pivoted. Mm-hmm. He worked with Newt Gingrich. Right. They had um, welfare reform. The age of big government is over. That was a slogan mm-hmm. on the Clinton administration. He read it correctly and did what a good politician would and pivoted. Now, he had some other issues. There was Monica Lewinsky, blah, 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 blah. So, um, But in terms of his mandate, he got it wrong in the first two years. I think he got it right in the last six years. So we go from Clinton to Bush. I think Bush's mandate, George W. Bush, that is, um, was to clean up the White House again. I think there were a lot of people who were pissed that, you know, Bill Clinton had his way with an intern in the mm-hmm. Oval Office and and that kind of behavior needed to go. Mm-hmm. Close election. I mean, it could have been Al Gore, could have been Bush, but it was Bush. And I think Bush's mandate was to clean things up. And then 9-11 happened and he became a war president. Right. So, um, so after all of that, going into uh, Iraq which a lot of people disagreed with. Um, I think maybe he took that mandate a little too far even after 9-11. I mean, we went into Afghanistan to find the terrorists, and then all of a sudden it became Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. And there were those out there who thought that maybe he was trying to fight his dad's war, that you know his dad didn't go all the way to Baghdad, so maybe he should go to Baghdad. Uh, And there were people who were against that. So in comes uh, Obama. And I, I, as you've pointed out, Obama, the first black president, although the joke goes that Bill Clinton was the first black president. Have you heard that before? No. It's, well, look it up. Okay. It's a true thing. <laughs> um, no, but Obama was the first black president. Is that because he played the saxophone? I, yeah, I don't know. I think you're just going to have to look that up. I got to <laughs> leave that there because I don't want this. I don't want this podcast coming back in 10 years and saying, wait a minute, Carter said Clinton was the first black president. No, it was Barack Obama. And I think he had an opportunity. I mean, I didn't vote for him, but I got to tell you, when when he was standing there in Grant Park in Chicago, I had a lump in my throat. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like, I love this country so much, and maybe we can get beyond the things that divide us. Maybe yeah. we can be better. Maybe his rhetoric is true, that we're not red states and blue states. We're the United States of America. And then he went to work completely destroying that. Yeah, and so this is the first one that I can really speak on because I was not old enough to vote, but I was old enough to be paying attention. And and I felt the same way. I think everyone felt the same way. My my family did, my friends did. And, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but that was a mistake. It was, it was a mistake to to think that if we just elected a black president, then our racial grievance problems would go away, that we would be united as a country because the exact opposite happened. And I think that we should take that lesson and, you know, going forward, we, we should not be uh, focusing on identity politics or any of these things because it's a mistake. It only leads to further grievance, further victim ideology, and all these things that we're trying yeah. to combat. So, Well, I think if Colin Powell had been the first black president, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I think that uh, Colin Powell did not look at himself as a black man. He looked at himself as an American. Right. I mean, if, but it's all about the, the intent, and it's all about, as you said, the, um, the mandate, right? So if, if Colin Powell's mandate was being the first black president, then it would have been a failure. But if his mandate was... You know, he was elected because he was a general. He was elected because, you know, he's a pragmatist and all these things that you mentioned, then that would be a different story. But the idea of, of you know, electing the first black president or the first woman president or blah, 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 just p- 
purely because of their identity is, is a big mistake. Well, then we get to uh, Donald Trump. So he follows Barack Obama. And I think his mandate, if I'm reading that correctly from 30,000 feet, was a businessman going to come in, going to run the government like a business and clean it up because Obama you know, went on his world apology tour. Uh, he wanted to make America great again, which was Trump's uh, slogan. And I think much like when Jimmy Carter was president and Ronald Reagan came in, the appetite in the country was we want to wave the flag. We are a great nation. Yeah. We're an exceptional nation. And Barack Obama did not look at he he didn't talk about America being an exceptional nation. Right. And uh, Donald Trump did talk about that a lot. Yeah, totally. I mean, he was a he was a return to patriotism in the White House. And that's something that was severely lacking under the under the previous administration. And I think people I've talked about this, you know, uh, until I'm blue in the face. But, uh, you know, people liked and respected his his transparency, his honesty about his feelings about where he was coming from. They appreciated his courage in standing up to the media, his courage in standing up to the left and the way that he was uh, able to communicate very directly with the people and, you know, not be this political spinster, you know, um, that's the, the, the thing that in hindsight, you know, another example with Obama that I really liked at the time, but now I really disliked about um, his presidency was that he was, he was such a well-rehearsed politician, you know, and um, Biden maybe 10 years ago before he completely lost his marbles was probably, I would say, the same thing where, you know, he's Obama was a great speaker, you know, a great, a great, great giver, speaker. a great giver of speeches. But if you go back and watch his speeches, he's not saying anything. He, You know, it's just like the I mean, so many politicians do now where it's just all platitudes. It's all empty words that mean nothing to try and get you to like them so that you'll vote for them. You know, where Trump was like the exact opposite, especially off teleprompter, obviously, you know, right. where he, he was very direct. He would call people names. He would say, we need to build the wall. We need to do this. We need to do that, blah, blah, blah. And I think that was uh, refreshing to a lot of people. And that was part of his mandate. Reminds me of the a story from the book I'm reading on George H.W. Bush, where uh, he took copious notes when, everyone, when, when someone was speaking. And it turned out what those notes were. He came up with a game called BS Bingo. And it was like he would look for phrases mm -hmm. of basic bullshit in yep. a speech. Yep. And basically, when you got five in a row or five diagonal, you should jump up and yell bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, so we, we know what Trump's mandate was. So Biden's mandate, I think, Trump, for all the good that he did, and I think he did a lot of good, and I think his policies uh, remain very strong. Uh, for what for the direction of this country, and if we had Trump policies going now instead of Biden peeling everything back, I think we'd be a hell of a lot better off than we are right now. But I think Donald Trump, if you were objective about it, lost the middle of the country. The middle of the country basically got tired of the tweets and the negativity and the name calling. They got tired of it, mm -hmm. and and I think Biden's mandate, and he even said it in his inaugural speech, was just give me a chance. I'm here to heal the country. I'm here to bring everybody together. Right. And then, I mean, could you have set an egg timer by how long it took him to completely go the other way? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I want to circle back to the, as Jen Psaki says, we're going to circle back. No, uh, I want to go back to what to the mandate, you know, and, and I think a difference between, certainly between Trump's mandate and Biden's mandate was that, is that Biden's mandate is based on a lie. And what you said that Trump lost the middle of the country. I half agree with that. I think a more accurate way to say it was that the middle of the country was lied to for four years and they were removed from the Trump base by the media and by the left because they spent the whole time lying about him. The, the idea of, you know, returning to uh, a sense of decency in the White House is based on all of these things that were not true about Donald Trump that were constantly repeated, that he's a racist, that he's xenophobic, that, you know, he's a, he's a big orange mean man, which it, it just wasn't accurate. You know, well, he certainly played into that narrative with all of the tweets. You have to admit that. Sure. I mean, he wasn't nice, but we don't need a We don't need a nice person in the White House. All I'm saying the, the is the job of the president Biden's is not to be mandate nice. was I'm going to come in. I'm going to be competent. 
I'm not going to call people names. I'm going to bring the country together. Now, I will grant you he's failed on just about everything that he said that he would do, and he continues to fail, and we're only nine months into this presidency. He's gone from give me a chance to massive government takeover. He is giving in to the progressives on the left, and I'm here to tell him if anybody will get this message to him, it is never enough. It will never be enough. Trillions and trillions and trillions is not his mandate. Right. And he's that's why the next red tsunami that's going to make uh, the class of 94 pale, mm-hmm. make it look pink rather than bright red, um, he's lost that. <laughs> yeah, and we just have to hope that it's not too late by that point, you know, or that if there is a red wave that the Republicans that are elected will actually do something about it, do something with their with their political power instead of just being a mouthpiece and then just being Democrats going the speed limit. You know, that's what I worry about is that, um, I do too. That's why I want somebody to have, have the balls to go in there and say, we've been saying as Republicans for 30 years, we don't need a department of education. Right. Ronald Reagan didn't shut it down. Right. You know, who's going to be the Republican that goes in there and says, this is not a federal issue. Right. And even Donald Trump didn't do that. And I mean, he, he, in many ways was, more, um, I don't want to say more conservative, but he was, he was more of a bull in a China shop than Ronald Reagan was, you know, that's certainly true. I think that's very true. (laughs) And, um, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think we need somebody to just go in there and wreck shit for, for lack of a a better word. And yeah, we need to, we need somebody who is, who is, uh, courageous and, and charismatic and will just speak the truth. And that's some things that people liked about, about Donald Trump. But you know, even he, he didn't cut spending. He didn't cut these departments and agencies that need to be cut. He, you know, didn't do a lot of the things that he said he was going right. to do. So, well, if I'm ever elected, you damn well better believe I will, yeah. which is why I probably will never get elected. Yeah, exactly. Um, but just, just know that, I mean, file this away somewhere because I, I say it enough that you should know it. It's never enough. Again, they're going to, they're voting to take down the Jefferson statue. What's next? Washington. It's just logical. Yeah. You know, the dollar bill, the quarter. I mean, you know. Well, yeah, they're changing the the faces on the currency. They're right. taking down the statues. Right. They're, I mean, if they can come after the the name of the Kansas City Chiefs, and then they, are. they can do anything. <laughs> and, and again, uh, this goes back. I've been in Kansas City for 26 years, and I've been talking about this for a long time. And everybody uh, lectures me that the team was named after H. Rowe Bartle, who was the mayor of Kansas City at the time. And he was referred to as the chief. Not the pharaoh, but the chief, and that's why they're called the chiefs. Mm. I drive by a billboard every morning on my way to work on I-70 that says, change the name, stop the chop, stop racism. Is that on, it's uh, in Blue Springs? No, or? it's a, it's in Kansas City. Oh, really? It's in I-70, on I-70. Oh, it's one of the electronic boards, and I, I think they've got it timed so it changes to that just as just I go as by. by. It's like right by Prospect and I-70. <laughs> right, uh, You okay. can see it every day. So. We're in this boat. No matter how nice Clark Hunt tries to be, no matter how much he gives to Native American charities and tries to make it about that, I mean, I'm part of the organization. I think he's doing a great job trying to hold on to the heritage of the team. At some point, if we keep genuflecting to these people, we're going to lose that. Yep. And then we'll be the... The Kansas City. Well, we can't be the football team because there's already a already team called the football those. team. So we have to be the uh, sports team. We'll be the Kansas City sports team. I've already said that I think what it'll come down to is we'll be the red and gold team that plays at Pointy Rock Field. <laughs> okay. So that's probably in our future. Is there good news? There is good news. And we'll share the good news with you. A little bit of hope on the horizon right after this. The fall savings event has falling prices and hot deals at Frontier Justice. Ammo is in stock. 9mm, 2.23, and 5.56 are all on sale. The Boutique is featuring 20% off all in-stock concealed carry purses. And you can enter to win a gun-toting mama purse just by stopping by Frontier Justice in Lee Summit and KCK, where the deals are too good to miss. Or visit the sale online, frontier-justice.com. Faith, family, freedom, Frontier Justice. So again, I'm coming back with with hope here, Kurt. There was a new poll, you may have seen it from Gallup last week, that and you talk about mandates and politicians who are able or or unable to read the tea leaves about what's coming. And this is what's coming with the midterm next year. A majority of the country think the government is taking on too many roles that individuals and businesses should do. Okay. Too much. Okay. We get to those tipping points. It's mm-hmm. like 
okay, we want to do more, we want to do more. Okay, you've done too much, we're going back the other way. Okay, 52%, the majority, says the government has overstepped. Now, here's where we get into the divide. 80% of Republicans agree with that statement. 70% of Democrats say the government should do more. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. And it's also, well, you know, I, you're trying to end on a hopeful note, so I don't want to burst your bubble too much. But these kind of polls tend to be unreliable because once push comes to shove and once rubber the rubber actually hits the road, people don't want things taken away. You know, and that's that's the benefit of why the Democrats are winning, why they have the upper hand in a lot of this is because once you institute these programs, once you institute the Department of Education, and then you have a courageous Republican that comes in, even if, which has probably happened in the past, even if you have a poll where a majority of Americans say, let's get rid of the Department of Education, the Democrat narrative is going to be, well, the Republicans, you know, want to take away your kids' education. They want your kids to be stupid and they they don't want them to be educated. And that narrative will win more often than not. And in, in the case of that narrative, it's one every single time. So right. I, I had I no do, illusions that the Department of Education is going away. Well, yeah, way. I'm just using that as yeah. an example. But I, I think it I think it works across the board. And, and I do think that is hopeful. You know, I mean, if these polls continue to come out, people keep waking up with everything that's happening with COVID, with everything that's happening in the school districts and uh, with the economy and with the supply shortage and all this stuff. You know, hopefully more people will, will start to wake up and, and will start to uh, actually stand by what they say in these polls and actually stand by their convictions. And when the Democrats come back and say they're trying to cut government, they're trying to do this, they're trying to make people starve and blah, 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 they won't buy into it because that is what has happened in the past. All right. Well, I'm going to end on that hopeful note because I'm very hopeful that the red wave is coming next year. And I'm also very hopeful that the red wave will actually get in there and do something this time with it rather than sit on their ass and become K street lobbyists and all that. So let's get the red wave done and then let's do something with it to dial this all back before it's too late. Okay. So on that semi hopeful note, this is Dale Carter's America. The views expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to dalec at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.